0: We're Alright, so Romans chapter 5 today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to attempt to cover the first five verses. Now, uh, I'll provide a disclaimer. Often when you study and prepare for a lesson, it's a lot of fun to get into individual words and try to do word studies, even though I don't have a, a grasp on the language at all. Uh, but with the tools that are available, you really don't have to. Uh, certainly it would be a benefit if you did, but I do understand and I recognize that from a teaching standpoint it can be very I don't know we'll use the word boring uh, when you get too deep into explaining individual words and I'm going to try to avoid that at the same time the lesson uh, especially the the meat of the lesson is in the first two verses and it's based upon keywords that are found in those two verses and I think these keywords set up the entire chapter if not the entire section of Romans that we're heading into so we just came out of the section where Paul uh went over uh the grossness the entirety of our sin and the the penalty of our sin and the reason that uh we we need to be so great uh or grateful for our redemption and he does that in the first three chapters three and a half chapters for sure uh Chapter four began a lesson on faith and its necessity, and today we're going to talk about how faith triumphs in trouble, and more specifically, how faith triumphs in our trouble. So this word faith, the, the book of Hebrews teaches us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. However, it's important for us to recognize that uh, faith does not occur without substance. In other words, it's, it's not a blind faith. It's not an empty faith. Often. Christians are accused of holding on to a blind faith, and say, "Well, y'all just say you believe, and you expect us to accept it." And uh, there is some truth to that, but our faith is not—it's not like faith in the lottery. It's not like putting uh, money in a slot machine, and having faith that you're going to win. You know, it's not like that. It's faith with substance, faith that we can hold on to. In other words, our faith is not a blind faith. Hebrews 11 begins with, the, uh, with creation and our understanding, and the writer makes it clear that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are not visible. In other words, uh, you can look around and you don't have to, uh, well, let me say first of all, uh, faith uh, in creation, if we talk about creation of the world, it's never going to be proven in a laboratory. It, it's impossible. It, it, you cannot confine it to a laboratory. You can't. Re, you can't take the scientific method and recreate it. You can't observe it. However, you can look at the evidence that is available, and it's abundant. And and it's if you follow any of the creation ministries, you understand that the the evidence piles up seemingly day after day with our ability uh, to explore and to discover uh, both outer space and, and, and the infant, uh, the, the, the smallest molecule and everything that they can dig into, the more that they discover, the more it points to an intelligent designer, uh, an intelligent creation. And so Hebrews from the very beginning before all of that ability could look around and use common sense to, and see a world uh, of order, uh, an or, uh, a world that reproduces, a, a world that has structure, that has division, and said, hey, there must be some intelligence. here, some design here. And so we understand that this world didn't just happen. That's what Hebrews 11 is saying in the first part where it begins to talk about creation. And and then uh, furthermore, the establishment and survival of Israel is found in Hebrews chapter 11. And again, it uses that evidence and says, uh, the outcome of the promises of God have proven to be reliable time after time. It looks at Abraham, it looks at David, it looks at, at Israel itself and how it has uh, God ordained it and put it in place and it's still there. And, and that's even truer today than it was then when Hebrews 11 was written. Why? Wow, Israel went away for a time, didn't it? And the Bible said it had to be in place and it came back in 1948. No other country's done that. Never been done it. And, and yet it's still there, and, it's, and, and from the time of its reinception in 1948, all the countries over there that surround it, which are larger, which have bigger military, which have uh, a, a greater gross natural, national product, um, all the ability in the world have stated outright, demonstrably, to the world publicly that they would drive Israel into the sea if they ever became a nation again. They said if they, if they pronounce that they're a nation, we're going to drive them into the sea. And they have tried it time after time after time. They're still trying and they still fail. Israel is still on the map. And so God said it would be there. It is there. So again, his promises are have been proven to be true. And therefore, by faith, we expect his promises about the future to be true as well. So again, not a blind faith, not an empty faith, but a, a faith based upon evidence, uh, not speculation, but upon proven and tried evidence, okay? So understand the difference there between, when we talk about proof, uh, you can nail it down to scientific proof, and that requires a scientific method. All right, so our, our faith will never be proven like that. Well, it will eventually uh, in, in eternity, but not on this earth and not in, in this age. But there again, it's not an empty faith, it is based upon proof, not scientific proof. Does that make sense at all? Yes. Okay. So, specifically, we will consider how it is that we, the believer, will triumph from our trouble. Uh, as a result of our faith. That's where we're headed. So the first key word that we're gonna look at is therefore, the very first word of chapter five. Let's just read these first five verses and we'll get those under our belt and then we'll talk about these key words. So Romans chapter five, verses one through five. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glorify in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So he begins this word, therefore, and what's the old Bible study rule when you ca- come across the word therefore? What's it there for? Yeah, you pause and you ask yourself that question. What's it therefore? And the answer is almost always found in the previous verses. So if we look back up the previous verses, and specifically in chapter four, as we're coming out of all that first three and a half uh, chapters of, of condemnation and sin and, and bad stuff, It's where he began, Paul the writer begins to talk about faith. He talks about how Abraham was justified through faith. He talks about how David was justified through faith. He talks about how Abraham's justification came prior to his circumcision. So thereby ruling out the the justification by the keeping of the law. Uh, He talks about Abraham's legacy, how that was received through faith. And so when Abraham is called of God, he has no children. And then that didn't happen overnight. He went for years with no children. And and, he go, and it, it goes on on until he's past the age of childbearing and Sarah's past the age of childbearing and then along comes Isaac. And so he begins with Isaac and now we look upon Abraham and his legacy uh, and he has many nations. Uh, descending from his name and so this this faith promise that was given of god was not revealed immediately in fact uh, we can say very late in abraham's lifetime and yet it remained true and so again uh, therefore because of these truths of of this, this evidence of faith therefore because that is true that's what he's saying then the rest of this that follows which is more directly to us the believer in the church age specifically to the church at rome paul is saying because of those things therefore church at rome understand these things and that's what the, the that's why he begins the the passage with therefore so then he moves on to justification he says having been justified uh, now if you Most of you use a little electronic Bible, but if you don't, we're gonna turn here in just a minute to Romans chapter eight. So if you wanna find that passage and kinda stick your bullets in there to hold your place or whatever, we'll be coming back to these passages. But we're gonna cross-reference a couple times and we're gonna cross-reference here in Romans chapter eight. So let's talk about the word justification. When I was a a small boy growing up and and in church, uh, we were taught again and again that any time you heard this word, they Uh, They talked about justified, and it stood for just as if I had never sinned, okay? And and I I don't hate that definition. That's not a bad thing to learn, but I think it goes a step further uh, that we we need to look at uh, as we do our study this morning. And so again, if you look at the original word in Greek, uh, it it steps beyond that. It's not just as if you had never sinned, because that's an impossibility, is it not? Um, anybody in here feel like they have never sinned? Okay, good. Because if you did, I was going to step down and have you come forward. Because you definitely need to be up here. In fact, you probably need to go into heaven and, and knock on the door and say, Hey, move over. at another throne because I'm here now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be added to the numbers here in the throne room. But no, justification has to take someone who has sinned. Justification is needed because of our sin. Uh, And justification has to move beyond that sin and that guilt and take us to a place of redemption, a place of purity, a a place of being justified. And that's what this word specifically in the Greek is talking about. So uh, as with all of these words, this word, as I looked at, at it in the study, it has different applications, and it has, if you will allow me, different levels. Um, so th- even using the same word, it's context, uh, it relied upon its context to distinguish the level. Uh, in the, in, the, in the, some of the lowest levels, it means to make one righteous or just as he ought to be. And, and the implication here is one is speaking of himself and saying how one felt that he is justified in whatever his action is. Now understand these words are not just big Bible words. When they study these words, uh, uh, we, we of course look at them in the Strong's Concordance and the, uh, uh, the other dictionaries and lexicons that we use to do these uh, uh, studies with to, to reference. Well, the the men and women who put these together, the great minds who put these together, didn't just turn to the Bible and look only within the Bible and try to figure out what the words mean. No, they look at all ancient documents that they have access to. And so they, they look at this word that is used and they try to apply it and they try to find it in legal documents. They try to find it in correspondence. They try to find it in travel documents. Uh, even in day-to-day things like recipes or, or or just letters. Anything they can find from that period of history, they take that word and they study what does it mean within context. Okay, uh, We use the word love here. Now, in, in the Greek, there's four different words that are used for love. But in, in English, we just love stuff, don't we? And when we stand up at the marriage altar, we use the word love as part of our vows. And we, we vow to love our spouse. And then we walk out and we go to the reception. And I just love white cake. <laughs> and I love the chocolate cake. And, and man, I, I love this chicken, the way they've done this. This is great. Oh man, did you see that Braves hand? I loved it when they put it out in the ninth inning. Oh, did you see the groom's car? He's got that new car. He's got that. New, he's got that new Camaro. I love that thing. That thing's awesome. And hopefully, I hope that when we use love the first time in those vows, it was different from when we found that cake and that car. And those, uh, there, there's a context there, and there there should be a level of that love. And are you on board with me there? Same thing here with justification. It can be used as one speaking of himself. As he feels, I I feel okay to be here. I feel okay to, you know, we're in this business agreement, Matt and I, and I've met my obligation. I feel justified in demanding that he meet his obligation to me because I've given him what he, my side of the deal. Now, I feel justified in demanding my side of the deal. See, that's justified also. Uh, But my worth is just as good as his worth because we had an agreement that, it, that if I delivered X amount X amount of bushels of corn or whatever it might be he might owe me a heifer or something like that they might find something like that in a document and say that's one meaning of that's one use of this word justified but there's levels you see uh, and uh, it can also mean to to show or exhibit e- uh, events not evidence events I, that's a new English word I found I'm going to use that in Scrabble someday and blow their minds. They're going to check me and lose a turn on it. Uh, But but again, it means showing justification in oneself. And I feel justified, okay, to to demand these things. Uh, And I'm righteous in doing it. But see here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it goes to the highest level of this word. It it goes a a step up, if you will. And and I don't know how they determined that within the context of all the other Greek words it's used with, I, I imagine. And it says, this carries an even stronger ideal of judging and declaring one to be righteous and therefore acceptable. Here's, here's the idea. That, it, that it's not oneself or one's agreement that one has made, that they're bringing something to the table that makes them equal and okay, but yet a, a higher court a higher authority is looking upon somebody and say justified acceptable paid up worthy and it has no connotation of the person that's being justified being in and of themselves worthy it's just justification given applied if you will that's the word used here that's the context of the word here so he says, therefore, because of all these things that we've already looked at, the things we've already established, the things that are commonly known Abraham, David, Israel, all these things, because of those things, having been justified. Do you catch that? It's a past tense justification. Where did that happen? When did that happen? When did that justification happen? Not rhetorical. Somebody volunteer an answer. When did that happen? When did the justification happen? Therefore, because of these things, we put our faith in those things, and because of that, we're justified. Had we been justified, so when were we justified? When were you justified? At the cross. Well, yes, that's the beginning of it, but the cross happened two years ago. Were you justified 2,000 years ago? When you declared faith. There you go, when you put your faith in the cross. So both answers, yes, are right. It had to be the cross. It had to be the death, burial, and resurrection, because that put it in place. But that wasn't a portion to me until one day in Decatur, Alabama, when I kneeled down on my knees at thirteen, fourteen Second Avenue Southwest. You don't have to remember the address to be justified. Don't get nervous. But I, I stood. I, I recognized my need that I was a sinner, that that I had no hope that the rest of my family was going to heaven and I was not headed there. How did I recognize the Holy Spirit revealed it to me? And I, as a four-year-old boy, went and found my mom who took this Bible and laid it open and showed me how I could call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, putting my faith in what he had done 2,000 years ago. And I committed and surrendered and asked to be have that applied to me, and I was justified. Therefore, I'm justified. Why? Because the higher court said so. I didn't bring anything to the table but guilt and need, and yet having been justified by what? Faith, not by my works. Didn't bring anything, didn't bring any works, but having just been been justified uh, uh, by faith. I told you we are going to Romans 8, turn over there real quick, Romans chapter 8, verse 30 through 33, and we're just going to read these, it's just a companion verse, but this uh, illustrates uh, precisely what we're talking about. Romans chapter 8, verses 30 through 33, moreover whom he predestinated, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, there it is again, and whom he justified, these he also glorified what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things and there it is in a nutshell the justification comes from a higher court who god himself paul says who's going to be against that Who's going who's to argue against that? What are you going to bring against that court with this authority who said justified? Not worthy, not deserving, but applied. Justification. And that's what this word means here. This is how sure our salvation is. Justified by that high court under their authority and their law, their reasoning. That'll be exciting, folks. <laughs> that, that, that gives assurance to the believer. And that's the ideal that, that, uh, that is carried here with the word justification. And you can go, you can study that word for, for months and never get to the end of it. But we need to move on to our next key word, which is peace, also found in, in uh, um, verse number one. Uh, we've talked about therefore, we've talked about justified, and now we're going to talk about peace. We're not going to talk about the peace of God. So the scripture talks very often about the peace of God and having the peace of God. And I want the peace of God. What does the peace of God say mean when I say that? What is it? What do you think of, I have peace, the peace of God? Eternal security. Eternal security. Okay, so you feel comfortable, secure. Yeah, that's right. But that's not what it's talking about here. That's not the idea here. It's not the peace of God; it's peace with God. And say, wait a minute! I always thought I was had peace with God. No, you didn't always have peace with God. You were against God. God was against you, and you didn't realize it. <clears throat> David Guzik, when he talks about this portion, gave a great example. Uh, it's kind of like someone who's speeding down the highway. He lives in California where they do the car chases and put them on the interstate, on TV, and all. You, you get to watch them. That all started with OJ, right? <laughs> and now we just can't get enough of it. Uh, and so it's kind of like somebody driving down the interstate with their radio turned way up and their b phone, and they're doing about 102. And they're going to, and a cop gets behind them and turns the lights on, bumps the now down again. They just keep it driving because they don't know the cop's behind them and before long they have a line of cops behind them they all got the sirens going and they're just driving along and, they're, and everything's good and before you know it, the helicopters are there and they're following them and the next thing you know you're on national news and what you're just driving along why? because you don't know that you're at odds with the highway patrol you think everything's good that's the example here before you're justified you don't have peace with God you're, you're in trouble and don't even know it. You're at war with God and don't even understand it. You see, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, our peace with God is, is the opposite of the enmity with God. Uh, the Old Testament uses that word enmity a lot. And it's always in reference to sin and, and Satan being opposed to God. Being at, at odds with being at war with God. And we're a part of that. We're children of the devil before we receive Christ, whether we realize it or not. You think, well, I was never that bad a person. That's Satan's plan. That's what he wants you to believe. That's what he wants you to think, and he's very good at that. Uh, it, 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 we're at war and enmity with God until we reach this point of justification. And so, it's not talking here about our uh, the peace of God. It's talking about being at peace with God. We move from that position of enmity to the place of peace, of partnership, of family, of acceptance. And that's where the next next word is headed, access. But before we get there, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. We have another companion passage here that goes along with this same ideal. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 18 and the little heading inserted in my Bible says Christ our peace here. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. How many of you, and I want you to really pause for a moment, put your Bibles down, everything I want you to go back in your mind to the place and the time when you received Christ and I don't care so much about the date I don't care so much about the person that was there with you but I want you to go back to the time and the moment close your eyes if you need to and focus on that place and try to remember how you were the moment before you received Christ and the moment after Think about that for just a moment. Pause in your mind. Be still and think. Remember. Before you receive Christ. And the moment after. Now. Was there a feeling of peace that came over you? Was there a sense of relief? There was for me. I was four years old. I hadn't even done most of my bad I Man, I've been a much better sinner since then. Than I was... But, but there still there was something in me that knew of my guilt, that knew of my separation from God. I've not been to Bible college yet. You know, I've been to Sunday school and probably VBS a time or two, and training, you know, whatever. I, I grew up in church, you know. I had a bad dr- uh, drug problem back then. I got drugged to church three times a week, <laughs> whether I wanted to or not, see. But there was a moment, even then, at four years old, in what we would call innocence, but it was enmity with God. And there was a peace that passed my understanding that came over me at the time and the moment that I received Christ. And see, that's peace with God. Oh yes, the peace of God, certainly, but I was at peace with God, and that's where the peace of God came. And there should be something like that attached to your salvation. I firmly believe. I think that should be the case. And, and and so we see this this peace that passes on, this peace with God that, that accompanies this faith. By the way, that's another, yet another evidence of the faith, is it not? All right, so then we have the next word, access, and we're moving along here. Access, we find this in verse 2 of chapter 5, through whom also we have access by faith. And Guzik points out correctly, and, and this is a lot more, a much more complicated word study to get the context. So I'm going to ask you to either do your own word study or take my word for it. Uh, and I don't care which you do. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what we found. That this is a much more uh, permanent word. It's, it's not access in such a way that you might, you know, if you go to if you go to Disney, you can walk up to the gate and you can uh, uh, take a, a bunch of money with you. By the way, if you do this, uh, and you try, and you can buy a ticket for the day that will get you in the gate, and you have access for that day to stand in all those lines in that blazing sun for hours and hours to pay 20 bucks for a coke and ride of one, on one of the three rides that they have. By the way they only have three rides. My, my family hates to go to amusement parks with me because I look past the facade of how everything's decorated and they got about three different hydraulic arms and move in different areas and they just paint them differently. <laughs> It's like it's like Taco Bell. I don't care what you yep. order at Taco Bell, they just dip it out of the same bowls and yep. fold it in different shapes. It's about one meal at Taco Bell. And I love Taco Bell. Disney's the same way. So you can go get your access for one day, or you can do what my, and my, friend, my they love me so much. They went to Disney without me the last uh-huh. time they went. It was wonderful. I thanked them for it. They did a girls trip, and I was proud to not be a part of that. But they did it right. They they got somebody knew what they were doing, and they made reservations. And man, before they went, things came in the mail some kind of doodad they put on. To, and, and they had access for several days, and not just access, but I guess fast passes or something yeah. like Skip that. Go to the head of the line. All this. Whoo! But at the end of those three days, or whatever however long it was, guess what? happened to that access. Uh, You had to pay more money if you wanted to go again. It was over. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about access. We're talking about permanent access. You can couple this with those other Bible words like dwell with. Eternity. Adoption. That's the access that is mentioned here in verse number two. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, that standing. So that's another one of the same. It, it's talking about this rejoicing, hope. Man, would there be much rejoicing if you had heaven for three days? Even if you had the fast pass in heaven and it was only three days, how horrible would it be to have to leave after three days? That would be torture. That would be worse than not going at all, I think. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about access as a family member. You're justified the high court has said even Matt can be here because we see the blood applied that's right he's justified why? because we say so you want to argue about it you got to argue with God see if Satan came to me and argued with me about my justification he'd win because I know what I am you know who you are but he didn't, he didn't get that he didn't get that privilege if he wants to challenge my justification guess who he's got to argue with jesus and god the father and the holy spirit all three in one because that's the high court who said justified it wasn't none of my doing i don't have the authority but that high court said justified by so devil you want to argue with that good luck buddy it's not going to work we know how that's going to end for him don't we Did you have something? Or were you? Oh, okay. You get a little. It's okay. (laughs) I I thought you was getting excited back there. Getting a little pentecostal. That'd be okay too. Last word, tribulations. Verses 3 through 5. Let's look at them again. And not only that, but we also glorify, or we glory in tribulations. Now that that sounds contradictory to me. (laughs) Any, Any of you enjoy your tribulations? Any of you get excited about the next tribulation that's coming? No, me neither. But let's read on and see if we can understand it. Glory and tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces preservance. preservance. If you have the old King James, it says uh, produces faith, I believe. Work and patience. Uh, work of patience. patience. Yeah, that's it. Patience, not faith. Thank you. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, quickly, quickly, tribulations here are accepted as part of the faith walk. If you want to be a part of this faith, if you're going to accept Christ, if you have accepted Christ, you should, you should expect tribulation. But now, hold on just a minute before we jump off, before we start throwing up a red flag or, or, or saying, oh, we didn't like that part. Um, are, are the unsaved, do they have tribulation too? Yes. Of course they do. They have, they have just as bad, sometimes worse tribulations, sometimes not as bad a tribulations. I've been listening to Dr. Luther teach about the, mm-hmm. uh, the Reformation mm-hmm. and how many were, were uh, Martyr. martyred through different, and he describes the different ways they were martyred. They, they had severe tribulations, right? Uh, in this day and age, many that are lost uh, in our country have worse tribulations than we ever have, see? So, so always understand, but he's, Paul is pointing out here that our tribulation is with a purpose. And, and, and don't ever confuse tribulation with punishment. See, see, God doesn't punish His children, in, in, not in that way of, of just torment, but He corrects. Yeah, you, you might be receiving correction because of your sin, and, and sometimes that's the cause. But you're, what he's talking about here is tribulation. It's about, it's about enduring things for the faith to make you stronger, to build your character, to give you patience, to give you a greater hope. Sometimes to be an example to others and unbelievers. See? And Paul's just being honest. The writer's being honest. And hey, you, you, don't, you don't pray the prayer and then everything turns to sunshine and roses. There's tribulation, but it's tribulation with a purpose. And why did I put my glass away before I was done? Because I can't see that outline without them. <laughs> so tribulations are with a purpose as revealed in verses 3 through 5. I don't guess I need them glasses after all. So where do we go from here? Next we, we move on and it's going to talk about Christ uh, in, in his place. Uh in, in chapter 6, we're going to move on and we're going to see the argument how we're dead to sin. We've moved from a position of slavery of sin to the slaves of God. And then in, in chapter 7, one of my favorites, the Dr. Zeus chapter, uh, he, he's uh, talking about how he's freed from the law. So any questions on any of those, any of those key words? Justified. Right, we talked about justified, peace, access to tribulation. Any questions on any of those? No, man, I did a great job. I am awesome. I'm doing really good. All right. I'm excited about where we're headed. Uh, we're, uh, we, we got through those first three chapters of Romans, and it, it just it's going to get better and better and better. Uh, if Again, I've talked about the Romans road in here. If you're familiar with the Romans road, if you have it written down, as we go through this study, make sure those, those verses are highlighted in your Bible or pointed out in some way so that as we get to them, you get the full context of them. It's great to just have them in a one-on-one witnessing situation, but if you really get the meat of the context, it's so much better. It's like John three sixteen. That's a great verse that we quote and use a lot, but when you go back and really study the context, it takes on 10 times the meaning of uh, for God so loved the world that it gave his only begotten son. When you understand the context of it, it's even better, it's greater. Alright? Good deal. Love y'all. Get out of here. I'll see you next week. Thank you, sir.